New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Economic meltdown, environmental crisis, severe weather changes, seemingly endless warfare, chaos abounds, the world is in critical condition. We've all heard stories of people who have experienced apparently miraculous recoveries from illness. But can the same thing happen for our world? The answer is a resounding yes. To secure the future we desire, we must empower ourselves with the knowledge of who we truly are, conscious co-creators of our destiny, each of us cells in a new organism called humanity. We're living in exciting times. Our science is in the process of shattering old myths and rewriting the story that shapes the fate of human civilization. Moving from survival of the individual to survival of the species serves as the focus for this edition of New Dimensions with our guests, Bruce Lipton and Steve Behrman. Bruce Lipton is an internationally recognized authority in bridging science and spirit and a leading voice in new biology. A cell biologist by training, he taught at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and later performed pioneering studies at Stanford University. Author of The Biology of Belief and recipient of the 2009 Goy Peace Prize, he has been a guest speaker on hundreds of television and radio shows as well as a keynote presenter in national and international conferences. Steve Behrman is an author, humorist, and political and cultural commentator who's been writing and performing enlightening comedy as Swami Beyondananda for nearly three decades. A pioneer in alternative education and holistic publications, he is active in transpartisan politics and the practical application of spontaneous evolution. He's the author of many books, including Duck Soup for the Soul, The Way of Living Louder and Laughing Longer, and Swami for Precedent, A Seven-Step Plan to Heal the Body Politic and Cure Electile Dysfunction. Bruce Lipton and Steve Behrman are the co-authors of Spontaneous Evolution, subtitled Our Positive Future and a Way to Get There from Here. Join us for the next hour as we explore the next exciting steps in our evolution with our guests, Bruce Lipton and Steve Behrman. My name is Michael Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Bruce, Steve, welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. That's Bruce and that's Steve. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so... I was just struck by the fact that the book opens with the phrase, this is a love story. Isn't that exciting? What's the love, <laughs> what's the love story? What's... The, the love for this planet, uh, this life, this world that we have and, and haven't really understood. And the understanding that is now 
being almost forced upon us by the conditions that we're living in to take another look at our world and, and see what it really is. And, and it's so exciting when we break the myths that have kept us a, a more or less imprisoned in a world of struggle and competition and fighting to find out this is not what the real world is all about. How did the two of you come together? How did well, you connect? You know, for many years, I mean, it, in secret, underneath the Swami persona has been a political scientist. That was my original uh, major. And I've always been interested in politics, etc., etc. And in, I saw very early that there was a big gap between the ideal and the real deal. And so in part, a lot of the spiritual exploration that, that I've been doing personally over the past bunch of years has been about, you know, reconciling that and finding a way for us all to, to work together. And I had this idea, a concept in a book, uh, healing the body politic, because I recognized that if we look at politics as a whole system, then, then we, it's a lot like the body as a whole system. But I didn't really have, I didn't really set that idea. Uh, Bruce and I met about four and a half years ago, and after numerous conversations together, we realized that we both had this sense of a whole, whole system view, and we both had a love and appreciation for the founding of this country. We were going to call the book The American Evolution at first, because we recognized that there was a balance between spirituality and practically applied uh, um, work and so on in, in the founding of the country. So as we began this conversation, this book unfolded, and um, it's been a three-and-a-half-year journey. So th th there's, there's a chapter in the book called The American Evolution. So what, what, what transitioned to the, the title Spontaneous Evolution? Well, I, I think it was because we didn't want to really make this a local book. We wanted this. This is a book about global civilization, and therefore it, it, it less biased in that regard, at least the way we perceived it. But uh, the concept of the spontaneous remission comes up when you understand that from a biological point of view that the biosphere is actually a giant superorganism. And all of the organisms, as we see as species, are part of a super, a super community. And the relevance about that is then you can talk about the Earth as a living system. And a characteristic of uh, such a complex living system as our own is that we can have a, a terminal illness and, and, and all of a sudden one day uh, uh, what we call a spontaneous remission occurs. And that illness just totally disappears. And it's interesting because the primary um, motive underneath all spontaneous remission so far is a major change of belief. Somebody that just says, oh, if I'm going to die, then I'm just getting out of here and I'm going to enjoy the rest of my life. And they let go of their issues and all of a sudden they're, they're well again. And we talk about that is that the earth is what appears to be in a terminal condition right now and everybody's concerned that, oh my goodness, the end is coming and all that kind of uh, vision. is. Uh, but then the reality is it's a living system. And what will bring it around is when we collectively know who we really are and what the planet offers us. There'll be a coherent uh, beliefs that will just spread through civilization. And that is actually an, an empowering force of consciousness. And it's the coherency that will cause the evolutionary jump. And, and so while each of us personally has influence over our own little sphere of life, if you get a large number of people together, 
that share a common belief, that is what manifests life. And it's done so through every civilization that has led up to this moment now. And we're in the process of, of understanding that the beliefs that shape a civilization uh, come and go. And the beliefs that have shaped our current civilization, which is now facing its own extinction, are fortunately being called to go because sustaining them is our own death. And so it says, yes, what's happening now is an undoing of the old to provide for a more sustainable way of life on this planet that would be more scientifically sound than the way we see it now. One of the things that, you, that was interesting was that you talked about that how uh, life has evolved on the planet, and there was an Act 1, an Act 2, an Act 3, Act 4. Can you just sort of briefly see what they are? Well, Steve, you know, Steve brought in the concept of uh, Greek plays, and, the, and there were two different kinds of plays, tragedies and comedies. And so that basically what we were talking about is the nature of that, how life unfolded in these different acts. Well, the difference between the tragedy and the comedy is, uh, is it, uh, Steve? Well, well, actually, we got five acts in a, in a play. And the first act, as we, we established the, how, Earth, how life began on Earth, and interesting, we start with it's a love story because in a certain sense, it is a love story. You know, the, the Native, it, I do a joke, or Swami does a joke about Native American spirituality. Uh, life began with uh, Father Sky and, and Mother Earth, and that was the Big Bang Theory, and it was a big joke. Well, actually, it turns out that that's how life began. And when, when Bruce, you know, first uh, told me about this, the idea that a spark from the sun, a spark of light from the sun, uh, touch the matter of Earth, and all of a sudden we have the beginning of life, the spark of life. That's organic chemistry, that, and that's yeah. exactly how we got here. We got here from the fusion of energy from the solar system, from the sun, mm -hmm. fusing with the physical Earth, which is inorganic. Mm -hmm. But when you put the energy of the sun with the physical Earth, you energize the matter, and that matter is specifically called organic chemistry, and that is the matter from where life comes from. So we're energized Earth, so... By love, through love. So that's the first step. And then love meaning connection. So the second phase, the second act of, of life is when these single cell organisms decided they don't want to be single anymore. And it would work better if they cooperated because they had reached a certain level of population density where that system simply didn't work anymore. It needed something else. So next there was another evolutionary expansion. And that expansion was interesting because the first level was making a more intelligent cell. So for like three and a half billion years, nature was creating the most perfect cells. And then at some point it maximized that evolution and said, well, how, how do we advance from here? And the answer was not to make any more any cell more intelligent, but is to gather the intelligence of a community of cells and let them share them because then every cell is a unit of information and the more that comes together in the community, the more awareness that exists. So that evolution has shown a pattern where you create a single individual and maximize its potential and then enhance the evolution by taking those individuals and putting them together in a community. So, for example, we start with a single cell we make a community called the human being, 50 trillion cells, and that's an entity. But then what we find, when that entity completes the human being, the next level is then to take the human beings, bring them together in a community, and this is the evolution that we're going under right now, the evolution of humanity, uh, a superorganism where we, as individual humans, are cells in the body of something much larger, and our collective awareness and unity and harmony 
could manifest the, what we find in a healthy human body, uh, where 50 trillion cell citizens can live in harmony and bliss and, uh, and be happy all at the same time. This is our potential on the globe when we see, us our, uh, see ourselves as cells. So we go back to uh, uh, Act 3 was more than one million years ago when, when humans arrived. That was a million, roughly a million years, and then, then there was the development of Act 4 of human clans. That's right. So once again, we have evolution always involving uh, a more community, bringing more cells together. One would say that's a form of love. You know, again, we had communities where we had single organisms of cells, and now we have a community of human beings in tribes, in nations, and so on. And uh, it's interesting, you know, if, if you look at... Um, one of the reasons why the, the United States has been so successful is because instead of having, at that time, 13 different militias on 13 different borders, we created a true federation, and so we didn't need to spend resources to, to, to defend ourselves against one another. So that was a much more efficient system, and that, that's in part our prosperity. Well, if you take that to a worldwide level and there's a recognition that we're all cells in the same organism, that we don't need to defend ourselves against other healthy cells, that is a, a really, uh, it's a breakthrough way of thinking. It's, a, it's problematic, though, because there's always been a vision of a new world order, which is then now couched the vision in a, in a jaundiced view. And, and it's really something we should consider is that the evolution is not something called a new world order in that sense that we've seen it. My guests are Bruce Lipton and Steve Behrman. They're the co-authors of Spontaneous Evolution, subtitled Our Positive Future and a Way to Get There from Here. If you'd like more information about the work of Bruce and Steve, you can contact their websites, the first being brucelipton.com and the other being wakeuplaughing.com. brucelipton.com for Bruce Lipton and wakeuplaughing.com for Steve Behrman. You can also get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. My name is Michael Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. Speaking with Bruce Lipton and Steve Behrman, they're the authors of, the co-authors, I should say, of Spontaneous Evolution, subtitled Our Positive Future and a Way to Get There from Here. We were talking about, uh, you, the, the last phrase, a, a new world order, and I immediately think of uh, Nazi Germany and Hitler. That's not the new world order we're talking about. Well, you know, the order is coming from a different place. It's coming from a coherence in the human heart, similar to the coherence that an, a healthy organism has. You know, for example, in we have a 50 trillion cell community that operates exquisitely well. We have universal health care, full employment, 
no cell left behind. And we have the organs uh, cooperating with one another. It's a natural thing. You never hear about the liver invading the pancreas demanding the islets of Langerhans. So you just never hear about that. <laughs> right. So what we're talking about is, in, in a sense, um, getting a little bit of humility uh, as a species um, and asking ourselves, what would it be like if we were as smart, as intelligent as ourselves in terms of cooperating together? So the so-called New World Order is not something that's imposed from the top down. It's something that's realized from the bottom up and paradoxically, it's a way for us to be much more individually free because we can um, collectively more than defend ourselves against the sociopathogens in the body politic once we recognize that we don't want to do any damage to any healthy cells. So in, in Act 5, we're talking about the good news is that uh, biology and evolution are on our side. Exactly. Once we have the recognition, once we have the awareness that we are cells in the same organism, then, well, we, have, then we have the opportunity for spontaneous remission when we undertake spontaneous remissioning. We change our mission based on that new realization. Uh, and it's very exciting because there's a very important scientific underpinning for all of this stuff. And it really relates to the fact that that knowledge is power, and knowledge of self represents self-empowerment. Except that we have been misguided by beliefs that are now found to be uh, incorrect and some, some of them outright false about how life is controlled. And the beliefs that had led us here have been a belief such, for example, as uh, the belief that we are genetic automatons and that genes control us and our fate is out of our hands. And, and then all of a sudden you realize, well, you didn't pick your genes and you can't change your genes. So at the moment of conception, some way your life is pre-written. And we bought into that, that forces outside of us control us. And what the new biology reveals is something so completely opposite to that. It reveals that, that uh, genes are actually controlled by our perceptions and beliefs in our mind. And, and the relevance about that is the conventional story of being a victim com completely is upended in this because now we recognize, wait a minute, if I change my perceptions and my beliefs, then I actually change my genetics, my biology, and my behavior. And the answer is yes. So we transcend victim and come into the nature of a, of a creator and a participant. So uh, it's a very exciting time because the evolution is not the evolution of any individual human. We did that a million years ago. It's the evolution uh, of humanity. And that's where we have to say, look, it's all based on the community. And, and then you think about, well, what kind of belief system are we actually running with today? And I say, well, our conventional belief system is that, let's say, of a Darwinian world, a nightmare that's based on a, a struggle for survival with a competition for who's going to be the fittest. And you say, well, if that's your belief system, and then we teach that, and our culture is driven by a belief system like that, that's why we find ourselves in a world of competition and violence and aggression, because uh, we're being programmed to say, I must compete. And now now we find out biology offers a radically different answer because biology says it's not competition that the biosphere is built on, it's cooperation. And, and then you see the human population in complete contrast to the rest of the biosphere and then you, you see, well, hey, look, it's all falling apart and, and it's because we have shifted the balance without even knowing that we were here to create harmony in the environment, and yet we are pillaging and, and, and competing for that pillaging. Uh, and it's very self-destructive, as we see now. 
One of the things, that, speaking of uh, perception and how it changes, you referred to the original uh, Flight of the Phoenix film in the book, uh, not the sequel, but the Flight of the, the original one, which was interesting where the plane crashes in the desert. And, and again, it's a, it's a whole story of, of perception uh, where Jimmy Stewart was the pilot. And so can we talk about that, why you brought that into the picture? Well, uh, we brought that in because it really talked about um, uh, a transformational stage. And and there are several. There are no new stories in the world, and uh, we picked that one. And it's also the same story as the story of the butterfly. Uh, as a matter of fact, the butterfly is for for those that didn't see the film. The story is even more clear, and it goes like this: What we talk about in the nature of biology and cell biology is that cells are, are essentially miniature humans. They have all the functions that we have, and they live in a world of community and cooperation and technology. So uh, we see this, and I say, well, okay, now consider this: Consider that you're one of the billion cells in a caterpillar. And you don't see the caterpillar, you just see the community around you and that, hey, it's working and the caterpillar is growing every day and the industry is moving and you look at it, the, you know, the people, the, 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 the pads and pens are looking and economically saying, yes, this thing is in a state of growth and the community is big and happy and everybody gets excited. And then there's some point where all of a sudden it, it stops growing. The machine stops really taking in product, and, and then the cells are like being laid off because if you're not being used, it's use it or lose it. And what's happening, you start to see inside, if you were a cell inside the body of that caterpillar, you'd look around and go, oh my God, the system is falling apart. It would freak you out because since you see the system as life, the falling apart of the system is, a, is the fear of the end of something that's happening right here. And so while cells are actually committing suicide, which is called apoptosis in biological world, uh, cells are actually committing suicide. There's a dissolution of the community, and it seems to be a frantic state. And guess what? In that community, there are individual cells genetically identical to all the other cells, but they see the world differently. They respond to the world differently, and they're called, interestingly enough, imaginal cells. And the imaginal cells are like cultural creatives or cultural minorities that are looking and trying new ideas, and they come up with the concept of a butterfly. And basically what they do is they say, look, leave this old system behind and because we can build something much more sustainable and much more beautiful and, uh, and better. And, and so all of a sudden the cells, instead of focusing on the dissolution of the caterpillar, start to participate in the rebuilding of something different from the remains of this. And so we're in a caterpillar world that is facing a necessary metamorphosis because the, the simple truth is science has already revealed. We are really into the sixth mass extinction on this planet, the mass extinction of life. Five times it's happened earlier in the civilization, not with humans here, with the biosphere. Uh, yet the five previous ones were attributed to the extraterrestrial things like comets, asteroids hitting the earth, shaking up the environment, wiping out life. And yet this one is unique because scientists have now recognized, yes, we are into the sixth mass extinction. And yet the cause of it is human behavior. And so basically it says, simple point, uh, uh, Einstein, I think it was the one that said, uh, you can't solve the problems with the same thinking that created them. And then you say, well, what are the thinking? I say, well, the institutions that we have, the economic, the political institutions, the health industry are failing. Why? Because they're the things that are precipitating the end. And so what do you say about that? And the answer is, it's the butterfly emerging now from the wreckage of this thing that we really want to focus on. And therefore, while most people are living in the fear of the falling down, the, the book says, look, this is a natural event. It's a repetition in, in nature. It's happened before, and we're moving on. And so rather than 
you know, being so consumed with the old structure, the evolution is you have to let go and participate. And that's the difference. Participate in the new evolution. And that's why people are beginning to have an awakening. You know, interestingly, you know, you mentioned the uh, the sixth great extinction and all of the other extinctions had to do with elements coming from outer space. But this one has to do with elements coming from inner space, from our own thoughts and beliefs and what we've created. And so the solution also has to come from inner space. It has to come with first the awareness, the awareness of what's so, what the new science is telling us, as Bruce had said, that it's uh, it's a world of cooperation, that uh, that matter is determined uh, by the movement of matter is determined by the field. There's a field that we have greater control over our genetic destiny, and that evolution is a process of awareness and learning. So coming from that awareness, that's the, the what so. Well, then it's so what, so what. What do I do about it? How does it relate to me? What is it? What would it be like? to live in a world of cooperation because we've had so many of these programs individually, we've had them culturally, we've had them passed down visibly and invisibly, audibly and inaudibly, and this is who we think we are. This is what we think, uh, we, we somehow mistake reality for, this, for our belief system. And we're now at a point where in order to have this uh, spontaneous remission, spontaneous evolution, we have to actually shift from what the Swami would call children of God to adults of God and actually begin to own the responsibility. There's no blame. The awareness is that there's no blame, that we are so programmed that that's what we have in common. We're, we're actually, as a biology belief, founded, creating our own biology and our own behavior through our consciousness. Mm -hmm. This, and so basically the concept of the placebo effect, for example, has been known for a long time. Yes, the belief system you hold in your mind will determine whether you're going to get healed by, healed by a pill, be it sugar or chalk. Uh, and so we always talk about the placebo effect. Of course, what they don't mention, and it's most important, is what is the opposite called the nocebo effect. And that says that a negative thought is just as powerful as a positive thought, but it, it's powerful in the opposite direction. Uh, a placebo thought can heal you, and a positive thinking thought. A negative belief cannot just get you sick, it can actually kill you. So basically it says, we haven't really been apprised of the reality that our thoughts are that valuable in our own biology, behavior, and the life that we create. And what this evolution is calling upon is saying, we have been disempowered through our programming for a thousand years. And, uh, and because we, it has been known, and this is not like a new thing. This is what's so funny about it. It's not a new thing. It's been known that a child is programmed by the experiences of its first six years of life. And that's in the biology of belief that was discussed as a programmable period. And what's interesting is then this concept of programming a child isn't new. And I say, no, you know, the, the Jesuits would be very proud to say, uh, uh, you, you give me a child and I'll show you the man. Or, uh, get, you know, if, a, if uh, I have a child for the first six years, it will belong to the church for the rest of its life. Uh, this concept known a thousand years ago of how to program people was already there. It's something that well, you, people just forget about that, that, that how it works. And the answer is, well, look, we live in a world where if you just did a survey of people out in the street, you say, what do you want? And if you don't get 99%, you get 90% of the people say, look, all I want is some peace, some freedom, place to sleep, some food, a job. You know, it's just simple things. It's all I really want. And you say, well, 
if this is what 90% or more of the people of the world want, then why all this violence, war, and, and destruction that goes on on a daily basis? And the answer is because the world is being run by a few who knew about the programming, and the rest of us are just playing our roles. So it's like the Matrix movie, and we're in it. I'm speaking with Bruce Lipton and Steve Behrman. They're the co-authors of Spontaneous Evolution, subtitled Our Positive Future and a Way to Get There from Here. You can also find out more information, more about the work of Bruce Lipton and Steve Behrman by going to their websites. Bruce Lipton is brucelipton.com, and Steve Behrman is wakeuplaughing.com, wakeuplaughing.com. And so that's Bruce Lipton, Steve Behrman. You can also get there through the New Dimensions websites, website, newdimensions.org. My name is Michael Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. Speaking with Bruce Lipton and Steve Behrman, they're the co-authors of Spontaneous Evolution, subtitled Our Positive Future and a Way to Get There from Here. Bruce, I was struck as you were talking about one of the things mentioned in the book uh, was the work of Ian Cousin, Cousin uh, and where he talked about alignment zones and the, the idea of expert ants and shamanic ants and visionary ants. Talk about, tell us about that. Uh, is, what he's really talking about is the nature of what we might call swarming or forming communities. And that is, for example, if you see fish uh, and they're out there swimming by themselves, they swim somewhat independently of each other. But once they reach a certain density, then they start to be in a schooling state. And then, again, if they even get in a higher density, it changes the pattern again. So what it says is as people come together or individuals come together, be they fish or people in this case, there's a community effect. And it ripples through the community. And so there's a, a natural tendency to find like pacemakers, ones that you follow a leader more or less. And so even cells in a tissue culture, for example, when I would grow cardiac cells, all the cardiac cells will beat, beat independently at first. But once they started to form a community, their beats started to align with the strongest beating cells in the community, and those cells become what are called the pacemaker cells, so that all of them line up, and that makes coherence. So it's a, a self-assembly process without everybody getting an instruction sheet saying, this is what you must do and what this must do. We, we do this by this nature of community. Now, there are many ways that this information is spread. There's electromagnetic fields uh, that are from brain activity, which you can read like with EEG, uh, visual fields as well, uh, so that there are many cues and what we know that in, in in uh, animals, including humans, there are now called <clears throat> a special class of neurons called mirror neurons built into the forebrain, which is helping direct us. And the mirror neurons uh, observe other individuals, and by just observing them, can translate that experience to the observer. So, for example, how mirror neurons work when you go to a, a movie theater and you see Indiana Jones and all of a sudden a big tarantula is crawling down his arm and you get the feel, the twinge you go through your body. 
what that actually is is a reflection of mirror neurons. You're observing somebody else uh, experience something that you have experienced to some degree, and by observing that, then you can have that experience as well. And interestingly enough, with maybe Steve will talk about laughter, uh, uh, and uh, that that's a, another one of those things that you you can have people walk into a community and start you know bring up the humor, start laughing, and all of a sudden it'll be contagious, and the whole the whole community can do that. So it's basically talking about the power when individuals come together and make a community. You know, it's interesting that the mirror neurons are really organs of relationship. And that as and it's also interesting that it's in the in the forebrain, it's in our most advanced brain. So it would indicate it would indicate that that perhaps the, that biologically as the next level of our uh we're prepared for this next level by having this way of communicating and relating to one another. I don't want to leave the I don't want to I don't want to leave the ant story. Uh-huh. What actually happened when this guy did research on ants and and he studied ants and he came up with this uh, it was very logical. Yeah, uh, basically what he saw was that uh, that the whole movement of the ant community was based on specific individual ants within the group. So it wasn't that everybody was a leader, but there was something like a pacemaker equivalent that had some characteristic that made it stronger and the others started to line up. So the question was, how many leaders does it take to organize a community? And the interesting part is it's not uh, directly proportional that as the numbers in the community get larger, you need larger and larger numbers of, of pacemaker or leaders, it actually goes the other way around, that as the numbers get larger, the, the numbers of, uh, of these leaders are, are, are fewer of them are required to, to shift the entire movement of the community. So it's like culling out the, the, the best. You know, it also might be that as the, just like as the butterfly coheres as a more coherent, we're a butterfly now, that it could be that there's simply a stronger field for whatever this new this new force is. And so right now, if we look at the news, it's all about the caterpillar. It's all about the caterpillar. And you know, we're we're watching how um the caterpillar is simply too big to not fail. And so at this point, you know, that that's really the lesson that there's really something else that wants to be born. And uh under the surface, let's say, uh as these imaginal cells and cultural creatives are connecting with one another, and one of the reasons why we wrote Spontaneous Evolution is to offer up a story that has the foundation in science and which also echoes ancient spiritual wisdom. One of the things that you also wrote about was, uh, and I want to get to this, uh, America's evolutionary tradition, that we have an evolutionary tradition in America. So can we talk about that? Yeah, I'd like to talk about it first before Steve, because I want to bring a biological understanding in, because we talk about culture and, you know, all these different cultures that live around the world. And it's fun because I was a cell biologist and I cultured cells. So when I talk about cultures, it was a whole different understanding. I had a Petri plate where I would put cells in, and by changing the environment, I could regulate the expressions or activities of each of these cultures. Well, it was very interesting because the, the world as we see it, uh, each nation is like a culture dish. It has its own boundaries and that the characteristics and traits within a particular nation are bred in through 
through it over over years and so you know over a thousand years so that we can talk about uh, you know the, the the craftsmen in Switzerland or the uh, or the wine and cooking in Italy or, you know we can pick out each country has these different traits what was very interesting about that is when you have a culture where all the cells are just inbreeding from the same cell source you can make wonderful traits but it also brings in a lot of destructive traits because uh, like when they were breeding royal lines you you get these kings but then every now and then you get uh, neurological defects or hemophilia and all these things so pure breeding is accompanied also by a balance uh, uh, of negative traits as well what's interesting is uh, there's a thing called hybrid vigor and hybrid vigor is a case where where you interbreed truebreds and make mutts, more or less. And it turns out the mutts are much more powerful and stronger, and that's why it's called hybrid vigor. The hybrid has more strength than any of the individuals. Well, it's interesting because up to the United States, the civilization that has, it was dispersed around the world were in their own little culture dishes. The French had their own dish, the Germans had their dish, the English, etc. The United States offered a unique opportunity. It was a culture dish that was seeded by cells from all the other different culture dishes. And so the power of the United States was there was a biological foundation. It was called hybrid vigor. When you bring all these wonderful traits, you can create something much better than all the individuals as they were before. And unfortunately, as we also know, you can contaminate a plate with viruses as well. And so when you bring in some bad traits into a dish, over time they could they can alter the dish. So uh, Steve will go on in a second, and I'll just end with this. Uh, the United States was built on this wonderful premise of hybrid vigor and express, express that. But over time, the the negative traits that came along with the other the other aspects of each culture have now become part of our culture as well and we have now compromised that particular situation so it's really a time of of uh, reorganizing this culture dish that we live in the american culture dish now it's interesting there's there was another kind of inbreeding that happened as well that wasn't quite as literal and that is the mixture of cultures the the uh settlers coming over from Europe mixing with the native cultures. And so much of what we call the Constitution and, and many of the basic principles were based on the Iroquois Confederation and what the those who came over here learned from the native peoples. Of course, we talk about the Enlightenment, Rousseau, and so on, but they were using as their actual model what they found when they came over here. Not to infer that these were utopian societies, but one thing that did happen was the Iroquois nation formed a, uh, there was a, co a confederacy of six tribes, and they formed this confederation so that they would not war amongst themselves. They still had wars with other peoples. And they also came up with a system of government that was very powerful, that, it, that really had a balance of power. And even more importantly, there was an understanding that sovereignty came from the ground up, that we all have sovereignty. And uh, this was a very, very radical idea for those coming over from Europe, even the most enlightened, because even there, there was the king, the power of the king. Here, we had the opportunity to be sovereign and create a kingship of equals. And those uh, among the founding fathers, particularly Franklin, Washington, and Jefferson, all were informed by the the hermetic spiritual traditions as well. They were they were at the very least Masons, possibly Rosicrucians, 
and they really had this notion of the perfectibility of humankind. They really were there with that. And they still at the same time had this practical way of applying it. So we had a fresh field here. You know, the, the revolution didn't take in France, but it took here. We had a fresh field, and we had the opportunity for people to actually experience this feeling of being sovereign equals. And uh, however, I, there was one piece that the, um, the American system did not and could not adopt from the native societies, and that was the Council of Grandmothers. In the Iroquois nation, the Council of Grandmothers, the elder women, were the ones who determined whether the tribe went to war. They could appoint or impeach a chief. And so without that balance of the feminine, of the, that which is related to the earth, you know, we took some of the great parts of it and we got a long way with it. And now it's probably time to reintegrate that, uh, that sacred feminine in the practical form. May it be so, because you know, it does seem something we, we left out. We left uh, out a missing piece. Oh, we forgot to ta- we <laughs> forgot to invite the girls. <laughs> yes, really. Did you invite the girls, Bruce? <laughs> True enough. The uh, uh, that phrase. There was a phrase in in, the, in in that chapter, but from Squanto to Tonto. <laughs> <laughs> well, the idea being that uh, you know our our understanding in in so called popular culture. Of the native uh, of the Native Americans, on one hand, we had uh, Squanto, who was the Native American who helped the pilgrims when they came over, and then we had the Lone Ranger's uh, faithful sidekick. And it wasn't until a book called "Buried My Heart at Wounded Knee" was published by D. Brown in the early seventies, late sixties, early seventies, that we began to really recognize the contribution. Uh, that was made by the by these native cultures, and uh, at a time when you know we've all tried to become some kind of uniform American, that was probably true of Native Americans fifty or sixty years ago, like everybody else trying to fit in. And so, in finding their um, their individual contribution, you know, uh, one of the aspects of being nations in a world is rather than looking at nations as competing entities, we can look at it as what can our contribution be? What do we have to contribute to the world? What are, what are we doing that's, that's making the world healthier? And that allows one to have this, this pride and tradition and yet have it be focused on a gift and a contribution. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah, they're all good ideas. Now we, now we human beings have to actually uh, start thinking like a species. I'm speaking with Steve Behrman and Bruce Lipton. They're the co-authors of Spontaneous Evolution, subtitled Our Positive Future and a Way to Get There from Here. And if you'd like more information about their work, you can go to the websites, brucelipton.com, that's brucelipton.com, or wakeuplaughing.com for Steve Behrman. That's wakeuplaughing.com for Steve Behrman. You can also get there through the New Dimensions websites, newdimension.org. My name is Michael Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions.
My guests are Bruce Lipton and Steve Behrman. They're the co-authors of Spontaneous Evolution, subtitled Our Positive Future and a Way to Get There from Here. We're, the, the last part of the book has to do with the whole new story, and I'd like to kind of get into that, what that actually, the whole new story of what's coming. Well, it's a very exciting time in this regard is that civilizations come and go based on the fundamental belief systems that we're provided with. And basically, they revolve around the answers to three questions called the perennial questions, which are how did we get here, why are we here, and how do we make the best of it? Over civilization's history, answers have come and gone. And every time the answers change, civilization changes to accommodate the new beliefs and cultural beliefs. So we're in this wonderful transition period of leaving behind a, a belief, for example, of a Darwinian world, a nightmare of struggle and survival and fighting, and, and, and that our uh, basic belief of uh, Darwinian theory is also that there was no reason for us to be here in a sense that it was just random mutation. So all of a sudden, human value has no value. It's just an accident of genetics. We now know, with a new science, something completely different. We find out that, uh, no, we didn't get here through random mutations. We got here through uh, adaptive mutations, which means every organism was brought into the environment to bring balance and harmony to the environment. So, while well, current science says, oh, we got here by accident, it says, no, we actually had a purpose. We were bringing in harmony and balance. Well, obviously, look, without even that awareness, what we have done is turn the whole thing upside down, destroy the environment, which in itself is responsible for or the, uh, the possible extinction of human life right now. So those beliefs change. And, and then more importantly, the fundamental belief that it was all driven by competition changes. And we start to recognize that, my goodness, evolution was only uh, uh, meted out by the concept of cooperation and community. So we start to see a change. So where people have been split apart and separate and living as these individual elements fighting in a Darwinian world, we now have this coming together of community, harmony, heart, altruism. It's all built into our biology. So we're, we're leaving behind an old way of life and bringing a coherence and harmony uh, that is actually reflected inside the human body to our world. But the most important understanding about it is it's not a passive process. It's not that we just sit here and then one day tomorrow it's like, wow, oh, everything is all beautiful and different. It, it is based on the recognition that we are active creators in this process, each individual. And while we've been disempowered through our history, which is the subject of the biology of belief, uh, we recognize that we can change those beliefs and perceptions, as civilization is doing, and then acquire new behaviors and new ways of living in harmony. But it also most emphatically uh, states that we are participants in this creation. That means we all do something to make it manifest. And this is what the call is all about. It says, look, uh, you can sit there in your armchair and see if it's going to happen, or we can get up and start to recognize where we know where we're going and actually you know, roll up our sleeves and get on the trail because the end of that trail, the light and beauty of harmony of a world that, that could live in, in the nature that cells and the human body could live is the most astonishing wonder that I can imagine. It's like uh, complete love and harmony. That's what, when a healthy human is uh, carrying around 50 trillion cells like that, the glow that comes from that, that, that glow could light up the entire world. You know, normally people ask, uh, well, now what do we do? Now that we know all this, what do we do? That's the point where we say, you've been a wonderful audience, good night. <laughs> but in a certain, in a certain sense, uh, the serious part of that is that essentially 
we're simply telling a story. We're simply offering a, a foundation for a new story, but we're not writing that new story. That new story will be written over the next period of time as people begin to become aware of, make choices on the basis of, and live by these, these new ideas. And we call it, what so, so what, and now what? So what so, uh, thanks to you know, Bruce's work and, and what we put into this book, we have a foundation in science. This is what we call new edge science, is telling us about life, physics, fractal mathematics, cellular biology, epigenetics. So we have this new information that incidentally matches what the spiritual teachers have been telling us. What a coincidence. Okay, so we have an operating system and perhaps the very operating system we've been avoiding operating by because it's more convenient to point fingers and blame. So first we have this awareness of, of the new, of that the world is not as we thought it was. Secondly, we recognize that we have choices based on that awareness. It's uh, so what? Well, so what being that we have been programmed, and perhaps that's what we human beings have the most in common. We've all been subject to the same limiting programs. So there's not a need to blame. There is the potential for forgiveness. Once we begin to have that awareness that actually we are actually connected with other people through the heart, what do we do about it? How do our actions reflect this new understanding? And you know what? For every individual, it's going to be different. For some people, it might mean retiring and moving out to the country and growing, growing fruit. For other people, it might involve joining the Peace Corps. For other people, it might involve being a teacher, being a mechanic, but with this new understanding that we all make a contribution and we're all... Um, Re rewarded for that contribution, provided it adds to the greater commonwealth and common health. And so these are all individual value questions that we can ask individually, with our families, in our communities, as a nation, and as a planet. Also things like there were different ideas that were presented, to, I think particularly of uh, Marcy Chernoff's uh, Happy for No Reason, where the difference between bringing happiness into the world versus a frown into the world. Um, I mean, there's lots of simple things that, you know, Martin Seligman's work on positive psychology and the idea of if you think about it positively, it makes a difference. If you think about it negatively, it makes a difference. And to really start to understand that our thoughts make a real difference. You know, we are so apt to be stuck in our stories. You know, people insist that they, we, we human beings like to insist that we're right. And so the idea that all I have to do is lift the corners of my mouth in a smile and it changes my body chemistry for the better and makes me healthier, that's a ridiculous idea. You know, nonetheless, it's true that people are, are not, don't smile because they're happy. They're happy because they smile. So this is part of what we call in the book self-health, where we recognize that our responsibility as a cell in, in the human system, in the body politic, is that we make a contribution and that we take care of ourselves as we take care of one another. It's, you know, love thy, love thy neighbor, that's great. Love thyself as thy neighbor recognizes that fundamentally we have to allow that love to flow into ourselves. And as communities, 
we can begin to make these connections through uh, ecumenical religious practices, through um, coming together around the virtues and values that 90% of us have, whether it's traditional religious, whether it's spiritual or not religious, ethical atheist, uh, you know, secular humanist, it doesn't matter. If we are all tuned to the fact that life works better when there's goodness, then that's a good place to start. There's the, 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 these field, the field of coherence, I'm thinking of the, the reference, the, the great study that with the random number generators and, the, and, and finding out that, that they had an effect, uh, that there was a shift in the coherence. I think probably the best examples are Princess Diana's funeral and the 9-11 attack situation where there was... There, there was a change in the fields. There was a change. The, the global field of the Earth, the, elect, the electromagnetic field of the Earth, was modified by these events. And it shows that when people start to get coherent, whether it was they're all focusing on the, the Twin Towers or they're all focusing on the news about Diana, when you get the, this coherence, then you actually cause the field to be distorted in this regard. And uh, basically, that's a, the story of the magnet and iron filings again, where uh, 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 we talk about the magnet field, putting the iron filings into shape, and then, uh, but we never really talk about the fact that every iron filing actually influences the field. But when iron filings are all by themselves, they have very negligible effect on the field. But if you took all the iron filings and squeezed them together and made them coherent, well, that's called a magnet. And that magnet distorts the field. So what we're coming into in the world is we're going to see ourselves as the individual iron filings, and that when we get our thoughts coherent of this harmony then that will become the field shaper. I wanted to add one more thing about that, and, and that is that we, part of that, uh, of that coherence is recognizing that each of us individually has a choice. And when we connect with other people who are making those similar choices, then we develop this, the same strength as, as that uh, iron bar. There's a, a section of the book, at the end of the book, actually, and there's a, there's, I want to read this because it really kind of encapsulates everything we've been speaking about. Um, we are the leaders we've been waiting for. Although we may be inspired by the election of Obama and basking in the warm breeze of political climate change at this evolutionary crossroads, the emphasis is not on individuals who lead from the top. The emphasis is on the awakening of all cellular souls who create a coherent, loving field so empowered leaders can be attuned to the healthy central voice of the superorganism that is humanity. Consequently, the real challenge for the individual is to practice evolution, to learn the lessons of the old story so we no longer need to repeat them, and to remind ourselves that the critical mass of humanity involved with this evolution will change the world from the inside out. We are living in a positive future, practicing heaven, and designing a bridge across which the whole of humanity will walk. This is our love story, a universal love story for the entire universe. You, me, everyone, and every living organism, too. And now, on to Act 5. That's from the book, Spontaneous Evolution, by our co-authors that are our guests today, Bruce Lipton and Steve Behrman. Spontaneous Evolution, subtitled Our Positive Future and a Way to Get There from Here, published by Hay House. And if you'd like more information about the work of Bruce and BruceLipton.com, WakeUpLaughing.com, Steve Behrman. 
And you can also get there through the New Dimensions website. That's newdimensions.org. My name is Michael Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3318. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.